Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Union Dues podcast. I'm Simon Sapper. I'll be with you for the next half hour or so. Coming up in this episode, Unions in Vogue. What the British Vogue feature on frontline staff tells us about the state of British unions. And a roundup of some very worrying news across industrial sectors from BA to BT. We'll give you the latest. But first, our featured guest, who is Sarah Woolley, who has very recently taken up office as the first female General Secretary of the Baker's Food and Allied Workers Union. What made her decide to run for the top job when no woman had ever held it before? What are her experiences like in terms of organising people who work in McDonald's and Weatherspoons? What are her views on mentoring and being mentored? And what does the future hold for one of Britain's longest standing independent unions? We started off by reflecting on the fact that she had taken over from Ronnie Draper, who had been active in the union for 47 years. Sarah Woolley, General Secretary of the Baker's Food and Allied Workers Union, thank you so much for joining us on the Union Dues podcast. Thank you for the invitation to come along. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, I, I mean, what a time to take over, and especially to take over from someone like Ronnie, who, who was active in the union for nearly half a century. I know, it's very surreal. People keep calling me the General Secretary and I'm like, but I'm still working from home. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just doesn't feel like um, I'm a General Secretary. I'm I'm kind of spending the day sat in my jogging bottoms and a T-shirt working away. It's not um, It's not how you would not how would you envisage starting a career as a General Secretary. And I, I, Ronnie, I've got very big boots to fill. That That's that's very clear part of our union and the movement for such so many years. Presumably, especially because things are so kind of well different and challenging at the moment, having having him around at least to have a a handover period has been has been valuable. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the handover period that we'd envisaged. We it started in January and was supposed to go on until the end of June, but obviously from the twenty third of March, we've not been able to see each other, so it's kind of been a virtual handover. So there's lots that we've not been able to go over, but. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. He's he's not going to be a stranger. He'll be at the end of the phone. He's he's assured me, which is good. I'm sure there'll be a few phone calls. There'll be people in history that have had a much worse handover than I've been able to have, and he's still around and um he's happy to offer advice as and when we kind of need it. It's just disappointing that we've not been able to kind of go meet the national companies and do that kind of introduction. But you know um. That that will come in time. It it will it will indeed. We have to hope we're going to be getting back to normal sometime soon. I mean, in terms of in terms of the engagement with the employers, I know that that you and the other unions in the sector were able to come to an agreement with the Food and Drink Federation at the beginning of May. Was that were, did the federation come readily to the table, as it were, or was it quite a quite a scrap? Um, I'll be honest. Ian Odson, the national president, did the majority of the work around that. I'd only been in post six days when that statement was signed. <laughs> um, but by all accounts, having sat on some of the base meetings that have been done around getting back the economy back working, they have been um, talking to members um, and talking to unions quite quite openly. And a lot of the big companies that um, across the industry. Have, have had more engagement than they would normally do with the trade unions. I mean, certainly from our point of view, the national companies that we work with, we have really good communication with them, with Greggs, Warburton's and people like that. So we we were already there with them. Um, we're just yes. hoping that the, the, the joint statement will encourage other companies that we don't necessarily have as, as good a communication with or um, engagement at all to, to get them on board as well. And, and there are a few, unfortunately. 
Well, I, you know, I, I I can imagine that, and I can, but I also hope that this is this is almost like the ultimate stress test for say. Um, social partnership you know for, yes. for both sides getting around the table and, and working on on the solution to a common problem and it works doesn't it I mean you know I, I imagine you, you your members have have taken great comfort and in practical terms have been made actually safer if they're still at work as a result of that joint statement and that's got to be good news for everyone it has it has and um, definitely you know I, I i was writing my first editorial for the the uh, food worker magazine that we published over the weekend and you know we know that we've had three or four members pass away from the virus which which oh, is which is sad, sad and and you know our thoughts will always go out to the families that are left behind Without our reps in workplaces challenging employers and pushing for best practice and pushing for health and safety measures, there's no doubt that those numbers would have been a hell of a lot higher, you know, and our thanks has to go out to our members and our reps for for pushing that agenda and making sure people are safe because it just goes to show that it works. Yeah, absolutely. And in that sense, the the kind of... um... It's perhaps strange to talk about an organising dividend that arises from such a, a, a profound... A national crisis but presumably you've got you've got reps who who have been banging on the door for a long time and suddenly it's opened and that must be tremendously satisfying as well as as well as important in practical yeah. terms i mean we we've always known that our our members are key essential workers and it is a shame that a, a global pandemic has opened their eyes to other people realizing that but you know it it, it is sad that it is this that's caused people to think I do need to be in a trade union because they're the only ones that are helping us. But at the same time, um, at the same time, we've got to kind of look at this practically. They're not getting the support and the guidance from the government. The people that are holding these employers to account that aren't doing the right thing are trade unions. And the, the more people that are within them, the stronger that that, that, that we are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how how are things going in terms of some of the campaigns that the union's running, like in McDonald's or in or in Weatherspoon's pubs, where clearly there are employers who are, um, should we say, not used to dealing with unions and uh, and uh, uh, no doubt in the case of Weatherspoon's very keen to get back to business as quickly as possible. But it's just not clear yet how they can do so safely. The, the union seems to be very good at being able to mobilise support for its campaigns amongst workers who are in, in small workplaces like pubs or, or franchises of, of McDonald's. What's the kind of what's the secret? What's the process? I think it's just we, we recognised a long time ago that our industry is shrinking um, from automation, from the changing diets. People aren't just buying bread like um, they used to and, and people aren't working in factories like they used to. When Ronnie first started, I think he said there was like 40 people on his line. But these days there might be two or three just pushing a Goodness. button and observing. Wow. So we've we've got to we've got to look at other other streams of membership for want of a better phrase otherwise as the as the industry shrinks further so will we um and the fast food um the fast food sector you know we already have a a, a fantastic recognition agreement with greg's and a and, and a brilliant kind of working relationship with them as a union that seemed like the logical next step to move into but we recognized as well that the majority of people in these workplaces have no idea what a trade union is. You know, young people these days, they don't learn about them at schools. There's a generational gap between 
pre-Margaret Thatcher and post-Margaret Thatcher. So people just see about trade unions, what they see in the papers, you know, we all go on strike, we're troublemakers, blah, 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 run by fat cat bosses themselves and, and, and all the kind of negative stuff that's yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah. So I think the, the campaigns around the McDonald's and the Weatherspoons initiatives have been so successful because they've gone into there thinking these people don't know what trade unions are how do we engage with them and they've engaged with them by agitating them you know finding out what their issues are and encouraging them and empowering them to organize in their own workplace not seeing the union as a third party but they are the union and they can make a difference when they come together and stand together you know and 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 they've had wins from that you know, from not just from the industrial action that's gone out there, but look at the U-turn with Tim Martin at the beginning of all of this. That came from direct pressure from a group of members in his workplace that said, we're not having this, we're going to put a letter out there. And it just, you know, snowballed, didn't it? With the amount of support that came behind it. He's not paying us, he's told us to go to Tesco's and then all of a sudden, yes, we'll furlough you and we'll give you the 80%. But that came from that group of workers coming together and saying, we want to make a difference. And, that, yeah, and that's and, how it's working. Yeah, no, well, I, absolutely, I get that. I mean, do you think, do you think that the, the model that, that your union has used to engage workers in this sector, who are predominantly young, young, young workers, almost sets a template for other unions where historically it's been really difficult to engage, to engage with young, uh, young workers, hasn't it? Yeah, I definitely think it does. Like recruits like, and if you get a, a small number of young people that are engaged, that are empowered, that, that want to fight and want to make a difference and want to improve their terms and conditions, it's infectious. It's infectious in the workplace and they're the right people then to draw more people in. Not me, you know, as, as much as I'm not old, old, I'm still old in comparison to some of those workers, but me going in and saying this is what you should do, this is what you must do, is not engaging to young people. They they know what they want. They know how to make things right. They just need a vehicle and the support in the background to be able to do that. And that's what we've offered them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's quite, it, it, and there's a, there's a balancing act to be drawn, isn't there, between between encouraging and supporting workers in workplaces like, like Weatherspoons, pubs or McDonald's franchises, and at the same time, making sure that the the level of support from the union centrally is right and tailored. It's not overbearing, but it's not totally hands off. Yeah, you can't just leave them out to dry. It's, you've got to be there in the background. But there is a there is a, a person to turn to. You know, we've got this idea. What do you think? Do you think it'll work? We've got this issue. How do we tackle it? Well, this is how you raise a grievance, kind of thing. Not a we've seen that you're low paid so you should do this because that it it Mm -hmm. doesn't engage people then does it how are you any different telling people what to do than the bosses that they're they're arguing (laughs) against you know very good point very good point very good point i mean was 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 that kind of like your your journey into the union movement because i know you i think you first arrived at at 21 i think were you in a baker's oven branch yes yeah yeah, I um, well, no, I, I didn't become a, a rep until we changed into Greg. So I started off working right, because of right, right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, did you, did you, did was there was there someone who was in effect your mentor who who engaged with you in the way that your union now engages with with young members, or was there some particular campaign that thought I'm not standing for that and that's how you got active? Or I, do you know, I I had kind of a really good when we went over into Greg's. I had a really good branch secretary that was supportive, and two two senior shop stewards, Ruth and Ange. 
and they're the ones that have kind of kind of been my support system all the way through this mm-hmm. um, the yeah. branch secretary initially was like yeah we'll get you into being a rep and encourage me to do all sorts but they're the ones that kind of keep me grounded but also give me the support and the encouragement to go for things so with the general secretary uh, nominations it were them that said you should stand for this, you know. And I was like, oh, I, I don't, I, I don't know. And they were like, no, yeah. this is this is what you were you were supposed to do. And and the very much, you know, the very much just just there for me, if that makes sense. I, I can't no, describe it. Does, it does absolutely. People talk about in in our movement, brothers and sisters, and they are my sisters. You know, yeah. It, there's just no way. Uh, uh, Ruth Ruth got married um, last year, and. At the at the night do they both gave me a card and bearing in mind this is Ruth's wedding that yeah, they gave yeah. me a card and a big picture frame saying good luck we know you're gonna we know you're gonna win the election we want we want you to know that we're fully behind you and fully supportive of you and and the picture frame was all these like influential women um throughout history that 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 bought me and that just kind of yeah that just kind of says everything about the relationship that I have with them. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the, the, this kind of mentoring. It's a, it's a, it's a paradigm, isn't it? I found that, but where it happens, you know exactly what it looks like, and you can see the benefit. You can see the benefits, and then if you try to develop a formal mentoring system, you kind of you, you, you struggle because you you lose the spontaneity or you yeah. lose the empathy. You, you said you said there that the, the the card that you were given with influential women. You are now, of course, an influential woman, uh, and you're one of, you're one of a of a cohort of 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 female leaders in our trade union movement. I'm thinking of Savannah Targe at the Wales TUC, Roseanne Foyer, Scottish TUC, Joe Grady at UC, UCU. Is there, is there a sense that the, that the time is right now for, to, to kind of smash what is still pretty much a glass ceiling in terms of, in terms of influence? Of course, Francis is doing a fantastic job at the TUC. I don't think we could have imagined a better leader for this particular crisis or, or at any time re- really so is there is there a network do you draw support from each other do you know what it's still very surreal I, I, I still kind of struggle to see myself as this like big influencer which is ridiculous but I think you know sitting at home talking on zoom meetings it doesn't kind of give you that feeling that you'd, you're making a difference but you know because we're in lockdown and because I've only just taken up the role, I have spoke to Joe a couple of times about different things, but we've not really had the opportunity to meet up and, and create that kind of network of support. Although I do I do feel that if I did have an issue, I could pick up the phone and talk to Joe and, and Francis has sent some really nice emails and, and offered the same support. I think once we get out of this, we'll be able to create that. We'll be able to, 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 to do that properly. Right. I mean, I, I do. I think it's a really exciting area to look at because, because, <laughs> without wanting to to um, to, to under, undercook it in any way, you know, there's the issue about about gender equality. There's the issue about age. There's the issue about not being all London centric as well. I think it's a. I, I think they, you know, they, there's a nucleus of, of some really powerful agents for change, for change there. What? Um, and I, I absolutely can get what you say about it still being a bit surreal, especially in these circumstances. <laughs> what? What do you? What are your particular aims and objectives for for, for the union or for the for the movement as a whole? And as you look ahead to the next three four years, 
I think, you know, agents of change is, is a good phrase. And I think we do need to change as a movement. We need to be more modern. We need to, we need to, in some cases, we need to go back to basics, you know, and think about where we want to be as a movement. We can't carry on doing what we've always done because it's not working anymore, you know. So you That's only sure. have to look at the, the, the guys that have joined from McDonald's and Weatherspoons. They've not joined a trade union that's led by a couple of older white men because that's, you know, they want to fight the good fight on behalf of them. They've joined because they need some support in organising their own workplace and, and crap terms and conditions, and I think we need to recognise that. We need to look at, you know, how we move forward, how we engage, how we politicise people, but how and how we make sure that they understand trade unions. But equally, on the flip side to that, we need to look at other things like the the massive thing that's come out recently around the sexual harassment and, and yeah. dealing with that. I think we've now got an opportunity with so many women in positions of leadership that we can tackle things like that and tackle it properly, you know, yeah. rather than it just being yeah. a talking shop and things like gender equality and everything else. And for anybody that's just like sat at home thinking, it's easy for you to say you're a general secretary now. If you would have told me 10 years ago even that I'd have been the general secretary of the Baker's Food yeah. and Allied Workers Union, I'd have, I'd have gone nowhere, you know. <laughs> how, how could I be a general secretary? Um, but I think it just goes to show if I can get here as, you know, a teenage mum at 17 that, you know, I didn't go to university or anything else and I'm now the general secretary of, of a trade union, anybody can do it. Yeah, yeah. whether we recognise it or not, at all levels in the in the labour movement, we're all we're all kind of leaders in, in a way. And, yeah. you know, it's beholden upon us to recognise that and act like it's to encourage other people, empower other people to, to come behind us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if... If you were talking to your younger self, you know, what would what you, would your advice be? Keep going. Just keep going. You'll get there because it's it's there's been lots of hurdles throughout this. It's not just a I decided one day that I wanted to become general secretary and it happened. It's been it's been incredibly difficult. You know, we do we are in a movement that's predominantly male orientated and there have been hurdles to kind of get your voice heard as much as I've had lots of support within our union. Even becoming an official, you know, people saying, well, what what can you do for me as an official? You're young and you're female and, and blah, blah, blah. There's still a lot of preconceptions to change. So I think that the key message to myself would be keep going. You can do it. You've got this and just be yourself. Yeah, I mean, I remember talking to Michelle Stanistreet, another general secretary of the NUJ. NU, she said when the election came up, for their general secretary election, she received all sorts of advice that it wouldn't be appropriate for her to stand. And, you know, maybe she would be better off doing something else. And at that point, she, she was saying to me, she knew that it wasn't a question of could she stand. She had to stand. And um, I think that's, uh, yeah. you know, that's a, a good illustration of the, of the dynamics and the challenges that we still face in the, in, in the movement. Yeah. And I, I think that's like, that's the same with me, to be fair, you know, um, I felt that I had a duty to stand to force change within our organisation. I'm the first female general secretary that we've ever had, which, you know, we're one of the oldest trade unions. So that in itself forces change without anything else. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it is, it's kind of like, you feel <laughs> like it's a duty if, if to, do, to stand. <laughs> if we were going to roll forward three or four years and you're yeah. looking back on how the union had changed under your, your general secretaryship, 
what what are the sort of changes you would hope to to, to see? I mean, I know, for example, you you you've, you've been very involved with Union Learn. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the the unions getting increasingly involved in things like the the just transformation you know, in terms of environmental environmental challenges. You know, there are going to be long lasting changes from all the COVID COVID stuff. If you if you could imagine yourself in three or four years time looking back, thinking what what would you hope the union would have would have done, or how would it how would it have changed to adapt to these challenges? Oh, that's an interesting question. I'd like to look back and think, right, we've we've learned a lot from having to cope with the pandemic, you know, and how mm-hmm. to operate within the pandemic um, and put some of those things in place going forward, such as utilising Zoom and, and, and things like that. I think um, oh, in three years' time, I'd like to see that we've got some kind of green reps network mm-hmm. that's established. You know, we've, we've, we've had a motion to conference last year around putting it in the rule book and things. So I'd like to see an established green reps network. I'd like to see to to reestablish like a women's forum so that we make sure that, you know, issues around like sexual harassment, menopause, things like that are on the agenda and not just um an article in the food worker every now and again. Yeah. Um oh I don't know. it's like it's like an what? open book, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the future is unwritten, as they say. But yeah. I mean, both both the, both those things would be would be would be fantastic things in themselves. Surely, they yeah. would be significant step steps forward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's what we need to do. Uh, uh, the next twelve months, we're really going to be kind of creating our foundations for the future. You know, and making sure that we have got longevity. I, I I'd love for us to be around another hundred and forty-seven years. You know, we're quite a small union. And a lot of small unions kind of disappear, don't they? And, and that can't be us, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, that, Great. that can't well, be an option. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing it happen. I look forward to seeing it happen. <laughs> thanks. Sarah Woolley, best of luck. And thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I, it was a it was a lovely discussion to have. I have to say, I, I, some of the concepts that came up when we were talking about mentoring and how when it happens naturally, you know it and it works, and there's empathy and it's spontaneous. And when you try and have a formal mentoring policy, sometimes it doesn't work so well. Really interesting to hear about Sarah's experience there. I, I love the notion of, of agents of change, a cohort of agents of change, and, and her line that we can't carry on doing what we've always done because it's not working. So true. So true. So true. Now. I've had the privilege of recording podcasts with other members of that kind of elite group of senior female leaders in in our movement. Uh, Francis O'Grady, Michelle Stanistreet, the National Union of Journalists, Joe Grady of the University and Colleges Union. All those podcasts can be found on the Unions 21 site, www.unions21.org.uk. But in terms of the ideas that Sarah and I were talking about, what did you think? Did you agree? Did you disagree? Are there any things that you've got a unique view or particular experience in? Email us at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. Tweet us at Jews Union. Join the conversation. We'd love to know what you think. We want to get you involved. Now, it's not often that you see anything other than picture-perfect models staring out at you from the cover of fashion magazines. But this month's British edition of the iconic Vogue lent its front pages and about 20 pages inside the mag to a feature on key workers. This was all under the headline of The New Front Line. And there, there were some great photographs by photographer Jamie Hawksworth, highlighting supermarket staff, shopkeepers, carers, tube workers, teachers, soldiers, designers, immunologists, NHS staff, posties, food bank organisers, you, you name it. And it happened because the editor of Vogue, um, Edward Enninful, basically thought, 
you know, this is, these are exceptional times. These are people who are usually not regarded very highly, but are doing absolutely vital work. Now, so say all of us and everyone who listens to this podcast, I'm sure. But what what interested me was, and perhaps not this isn't surprising given the sectors that we're talking about, is, is amongst the people who were photographed and portrayed uh, were people who are union members, union activists in, in some case. Now, I think that's significant, and I'll tell you why. It's not just because these are people who are being given exposure when they don't normally get exposure. It's actually saying it's quite compatible to be featured in Vogue and to be a union member or a union rep. There's no contradiction here. And it's also important because actually the response of the unions to their members appearing in this way wasn't kind of jealousy or being a bit disdainful or thinking, well, this is a bit unusual, we're not going to touch it. CWU and ASLEF, in particular, were very strong in supporting the members who were featured. That's that's Carrie Scott, who's actually the young workers' rep for the South West London postal branch of the CWU, and Nargwis Horsford uh, from As Aslef. And Aslef tweeted uh, a link to the article and a link to the companion video that had been shot, which gives a, a sort of a, a day in the life kind of view of what Nargis, um, what their like working life working life is like during the time of COVID. So I think it's it's important not just because. It says you can be in vogue and still be an active union member. There's no contradiction there. It's important not just because actually unions really seem to embrace this and and, and champion and push their members who are who are in the spotlight in this way. I think it's because people, young workers particularly, or people coming into the workforce, will look at those images and the, the narrative behind them and they'll say, that looks fun or that looks impressive or that's a bit inspiring I want to be like that. And if I join the union, I can be like that. That's the key takeaway for me. So it's not just a media strategy. It's an organizing strategy as well. What do you think? Baloney? Got some substance? Agree with me? Disagree with me? Union Jews at MakesYouThink.com. Tweet us at Jews Union. Let me know what you think. Our regular roundup of news from around the industrial sectors now, and it doesn't make for pretty listening, I'm afraid. British Airways, British Airways are determined, it seems, to go ahead with their plan to sack all their workforce and then take back those that they want, but on inferior terms and conditions. A very smart campaign website has been set up, www.babetrayal.com. Do pay it a visit. All sorts of resources and suggestions about what you can do to try and get the company to change its mind. The one union that's still trying to negotiate with the airline, that's the British Airline Pilots Association. Um, well, news reports say that they're very despondent about the ability or the willingness of the company to respond sensibly to any of the suggestions that are being made. Uh, amongst the 12,000 job losses that are anticipated are around 1,100 pilots' jobs. So looks like uh, BA's in for a bumpy landing on that one for sure. BT? BT have triggered a compulsory review of a pensions and redundancy agreement with the main union, the Communication Workers Union, that's less than two years old. Now, I mean, the company says, well, relax, nothing to worry about here. But actually, if there's nothing to worry about, why trigger a review of the whole deal, including the redundancy compensation calculation, which is, you'd expect from the CW is a, is a, is a very healthy uh, and solid uh, agreement and, and redundancy compensation calculation. And this comes very hard on the heels uh, after the fact that BT, for the first time since privatisation back in the mid-1980s, for the first time, 
made someone in a CWU grade redundant on compulsory grounds rather than voluntary grounds. I mean, tremendous achievement to hold off compulsory redundancies from all that period of time. And actually, in this latest uh, exercise, BT Enterprises were looking to, at one stage, to make 360-odd people redundant. The union whittled that down, found alternatives until there was just one person, long-serving, long-service person, good, you know, good quality of work and all the rest of it. Details a bit fuzzy because there are legal considerations taking place at the moment, but no, the company pushed the button on compulsory, on compulsory redundancies. I, I, transformative in terms of the relationship between the CW and BT and not in a good way. And last but by no means least, by no means least, Usdor have, not surprisingly, reacted rather um, rather badly to a unilateral announcement by the government that they're seriously thinking about deregulating Sunday training lords entirely in order uh, to try and give some boost to, to the economy. I mean, you think about shop workers... Uh, particularly those in the food sector, you know, they've been, you know, they really have been key workers. But deregulating a very carefully put together and maintained compromise that, as Usdor have done ever since Sunday trading in England became legal, uh, just to so wantonly kind of throw it aside, you kind of think that, you know, come on, guys, you know, whether you're an employer, whether you're government, stay focused, right? We're still in the middle of a crisis here. You've got to take on board all the stakeholders. There's got to be consultation, dialogue, got to reach a common understanding if you can, because actually business recovery depends on taking your employees with you. It's not rocket science, is it? Well, that's just about it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure to have your company for this last half hour. Also, I hope you found it interesting. I hope it's made you think. If it has, then email us your thoughts, your queries your suggestions for what we could have on in future episodes to union jews at makes you think.com you can tweet us at jews union and if you head over to the makes you think website www.makes you think.com you'll find the companion blog post to this episode which has got all the links and signposting you'll need to all the things that have been discussed during the course of the program it just leaves me to say my customary thank you heartfelt thank you to all the key workers as we move into a period where lockdown is loosened i think the role and the exposure of key workers is even greater than it was before beforehand it's also important uh, at the moment particularly to say very clearly black lives matter and in the tragedy of the killing of george floyd and the unbelievable anti-racist demonstrations we've seen around around the world there was one tweet that particularly caught my eye from Asma Nizami, who is a civil liberties activist in Minnesota, the state in which George Floyd lived and was killed. She tweeted uh, yesterday, I personally think that it's really cool how we all went from learning how to make banana bread to learning how to abolish the police in a matter of weeks. Optimism that things can change, things will change, things have to change. Stay well, stay safe. Stay socially distanced. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.